Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. It's our first pre-Olympics review of the Opals campaign. Joining me is Jacinta Gavin. Jacinta, Thanks so much, Paul. I'm very, very excited to um, be contributing to your podcast and to uh, be catching up with you again because it's been so long. Yeah, it has been. It's been it's been quite a while since the last. I can't even remember the last time we live streamed a, a game. It was yeah, a very of years much pre COVID, pre WNBL Queensland bubble. Feels like a whole other lifetime ago now. Oh yeah, it sure does. So we're heading into the Olympics. The Opal starting their campaign. We've got a game against Belgium. How do you think that's going to play uh, out? Look, I think. If we look at each team on paper, um, I do feel like, without being biased, that the Opals probably have a bit more depth than the Belgian team, especially when we've got a lot more Opals that are playing internationally, a lot more Opals with WNBA experience. I feel like that our the Opals should get the win over the Belgian team. But what's really interesting is that uh, I've watched quite a few recent games um, that Belgium have played, uh, YouTube, great thing, all the free content, um, and that the Opals and the Belgian team actually play quite a similar style. And I feel like sometimes historically when two teams are matched up against each other, similar style play, it could all it could be really, really good and it can be really good to try and assess how each team are going to tweak their natural style of play to approach this kind of game situation. Uh, but it could also be really bad in a sense that it could be quite boring or it would just be yeah, a bit same-same. It might just come down to one team just literally just making more buckets than the other if you look on paper and that's all it will come down to. So it's going to be quite an interesting test, I think, for the first game because I I can't say the last time the Belgians and the Australians, you know, would have really matched up against each other at this kind of um, world stage other than maybe the World Cup. That was a whole different Opals team back then too. That's true. It was completely different. And, look, we don't want to get too deeply into this, but there's obviously been some adjustments to the team based off the preparation. We had a team where they would have been developing their sets around having a particular roster. Now that roster has changed significantly. What do you think is going through the team's mind now when they're looking at adjustments and having slotted Ezzy into uh, that role? Honestly, with saying this as uh, safely and as diplomatically as I possibly can, I don't think the Opals camp would be too worried. I think... Okay. You know, the the player that we are implying, players like that, in my opinion, can be like a double-edged sword. You know how valuable they can be and you know how much impact they can create for the team, but it depends on what version of that person you're going to get on the day because are they going to be the player that you need them to be? Are they going to be the scorer, the reliable rebounder, the shot blocker, or they are they just going to get a couple of bumps and then hide for the rest of the 40 minutes of the game? 
Uh, and someone as dominant as that can really persuade the team dynamic and team culture either way. And a, and a team can't get any stability in that point in time in a game situation. So I feel like the roster that they are now taking into the Olympics and starting their campaign to me has a bit better or more stability probably a stronger culture, kind of personal bonding points between some of the players on and off the court. I actually saw a really nice post that I think Tessa Levy put on her Instagram of her and Sarah Blissavs, um and Tessa at little A's when they were kids and now they're going to the Olympics together. Oh, yeah, so yeah. that kind of like personal history translates onto the court a lot. Um, and as he... Uh, Ezzy, Ezzy will be okay to step up. We just got to be conscious not to put too much pressure on her, remembering she is only 21 um, <laughs> with the world still at her feet. Um, but I feel like the Opals now have more opportunity to play probably a little bit more versatile. They can probably run the floor a little bit more. It would be interesting to see if they bring Ezzy up into the high post, especially in this game against Belgium where they've got some really, really strong bigs maybe try and draw those bigs away from the basket when they're playing their half-court offense. I think the Opals are going to be okay. I think they're feeling comfortable, maybe a little bit more relaxed. Do you think that, um, I mean, look, is probably not as solid as some of the other players who would be should be matching up against mm. from Belgium. What do you think is the best way for them to adjust Yeah, that? I think looking to run the floor a lot in transition, um, Ezzy will have the foot speed over the bigs that Belgium have, uh, especially one of their bigs is um, his body is old and at the Olympics, which is pretty outstanding. But yeah, I think as he's got the athleticism to run the floor, um, I think as he's probably got a little bit more versatility to take on the Belgian bigs off the dribble. So it would be interesting to see her maybe in a high post or a horns action type play to see where as he will fit in and um, seeing if they can get some pick and roll options there. Um, but I think that it's going to be really important for Ezzy and some of the other bigs in the Opals to make sure they stay out of foul trouble because our bigs, we've got Tolo, we've got Francis, Ezzy, Steph Talbot, Alina Smith can slot into that other four spot if we need to. And our our defence in the trial game against the US under the basket was really, really good. Like that was outstanding. Um, I feel like it was, yeah, it was spectacular it was, watch. Yeah, a totally outstanding defensive performance. The way they locked down Brittany Griner in that game. But I feel like if they do the same, then they should have a, a handle on the Belgians. And um, but yeah, just got to make sure they don't get into foul trouble. And I'm and especially as he can't afford to get into any foul trouble. Who else should we be looking at on the Opals in terms of you know players that can turn around and really provide us with? with some penetration and also be able to turn turn things around if need be? I really like uh, Beck Allen is always probably a threat. Um, I think a lot of teams scouting the Opals would always have her as a shooting threat. The thing with Beck Allen is that I feel like she, she wants to take a certain number of shots per game, even when those shots aren't the best options. But when she starts to light it up, then, you know, it's, she can she can easily go on like a, eight to 12 point run if she's starting to light it up. So I think that could be a bit of a wild card for the Opals if she gets hot with her hands. Um, the other I would say is probably Steph Talbot. Um, so I like how Steph Talbot is a really strong role player. Uh, she's really good at both ends of the floor. She doesn't try to be anything too fancy. She's really reliable when it comes to doing the little things right, like um, stepping up on D or 
going for offensive rebounds. So I think those two will probably be a bit of a difference. Okay. One of the things I was thinking about was obviously in the scouting, Belgium's going to be looking at the different players and trying to figure out how best to defend against them. I think there's a couple, if you're looking at it just on paper, that could end up being some being a real surprise. One of them is Kayla. I mean, when you think about it, like in last season's WNBL, she was only shooting 24% mm. from the three-point line. But one of the things that Kayla always does is in those clutch plays, she can nail those threes and absolutely put the dagger yeah, in Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, it's almost like she needs that tiny little bit of extra pressure to operate her, at her best sometimes. It's like, oh, we need we need something. We need a change. And she kind of just switches on and goes, oh, okay, look, let me just bomb a couple of threes and we'll be okay, guys, and then we can get back to it. <laughs> um, no, I agree. Yeah, she would definitely be a, an X factor, but another one where I'm a bit worried about foul trouble. And the other one that there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about before the competition was Leilani because in her WNBA season she wasn't quite hitting her stride early on in the season but she really started to pick up towards the back. But I think one of the things a lot of people forget is that Leilani, even if she's not scoring points, the basketball IQ she's bringing to the table lets her make things happen without necessarily having to put the yeah, ball in the Yeah, I totally agree. I'm kind of glad you brought this up, actually, because there was a strong debate online about whether to pick Leilani or to pick Sammy Whitcomb because Sammy was having an outstanding WNBA season. So I don't want to take that away from her. And like you said, you know, Lay was having, you know, she was still having a, a good season, but not, you know, sixth person of the year kind of a season for Leilani, which I think she got, you know, a couple of years ago when she was still playing for Phoenix. But the thing is, yeah, friends and I have talked about this actually still recently. The thing is with Leilani is that she is a true point guard. And like you said, if she's not scoring points, she's still contributing in some other way. And her role as a true point guard, the way that she's able to control the tempo on the floor, the way she's able to find bigs in transition for those lob passes for an easy bucket, the way that she's able to get everyone organized quickly and calmly. I don't think you can really replace that. Like that's a very, very strong uh, and natural skill to have that not everyone can have. And if you've got that accessible in your team, that's something you want to bottle up and share with everyone. For sure. And we've seen Leilani do this so often that she'll make something happen out of nothing. Her ability to be able to read the floor and and recognize I'm going to have a lane here or there's going to be an opportunity to throw it up there. It's just something that you, you've got to have in your team, particularly when you're Definitely. playing at this level. And I don't think you can really, and I, I, when I say this stuff, I always get a little bit mindful that I feel like a bit of a jinx and I don't want to say things and then go and jinx someone. Um, but I mean, it, if you think, has Leilani ever really had like a bad game, you know, a bad game on paper of like zero from 12 shooting, 18 turnovers, you know, that getting fouled off, what, missing a box out. I don't think she, a bad game in Leilani's standard is just maybe having six points instead of 16 or four assists instead of eight. And that's still not a bad game by anyone else's standard. So I think we've got to value that a lot more. It's, I think we've got to be mindful that we're holding everyone to the same standard 
of what's a good what's good what's bad what's productive what's unproductive and we can't have you know conditions for every other player um but the other thing that she brings that a lot of other players don't naturally have whether it's in the opals or whether it's in any realm of basketball is that she just has this natural calming presence on the court she's always in control and it could be uh the gold medal game it could be a one point game all game it'll be the dying 15 seconds and her composure will remain the same and that is very very important at this stage yeah yeah, that's true. Actually, I've just been, while you were saying that, I was thinking back and I can't remember a time when I've seen Leilani really get flustered. No matter how bad things are, she's always calm and really analysing what's going on to try and figure out, okay, what do we do Yeah, next? definitely. Without being uh, so prospective that she's getting anxious about, oh, okay, we've got to do this and now the next play we've got to do that and what if that doesn't happen? She still just kind of takes it as it comes, but... I think the only time I've actually seen her flustered, to be honest, was when there was the Shelley Gorman Invitational not that long ago that was at Sydney. And yeah. it was the first time Leilani and her fiancé, Michaela, had played against each other ever. And it was like history being made for all of us other basketball nerds out there that follow this kind of thing. And um, I think the only time I've seen Leilani flustered was after that game. And I was like, what? Whoa, what is happening? And then Michaela's team won that round game against Leilani's team. And then fast forward two days later, Leilani's team beat them in the grand final. So it was redemption. It, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. it all washed out in the end. Okay, look, one last thing I want to talk about before we finish this, this preview of the game. Again, before Las Vegas kicked into gear, there was a lot of chatter on social media about the fact that Sandy was with Phoenix rather than being in camp. Now, I think, in my opinion, if you look at the the assistant coaching roster that she's got, I don't see it as being any sort of issue for the Opals prep. She would have been talking with the coaching staff consistently. They would know what she wants, and they'd be working on that. And I think the proof was in the pudding in the outcome in the Las Vegas games. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's really hard at the moment for any sporting landscape, but, you know, speaking to basketball specifically, with COVID, it's just uh, thrown our regular synchronisation of seasons and leagues all around the world totally out of sync. So um, lots of comps are overlapping. Um, lots of players are having to decide, you know, negotiate contracts, starting dates and closing dates and making sure that their priorities are being met as best as possible. So I think the coaches have to um, do the same thing and maybe be cut a bit of slack. But I think you're totally right, Paul. Like Sandy, Sandy knows all of these players really well. I know that she talks to the players quite often um, whether it's in a group chat setting on Zoom or even if it's one-on-one, you know, saying to particular players, go away and work on this or um, always making sure that the team principles are the focus of their practice or their focus of their indies or things like that. So I know that she does m- make a lot of effort to stay in touch with those players in between tournaments and camps. But I'm guessing Olaf was there at the Opals camp while Sandy was coaching Phoenix. Is that right, Paul? Yeah, and I know that um, Cheryl was there and also I think uh, Gorry was there as well. Yeah, they're three very reliable, very well-experienced coaches, especially all three of them have had first-hand experiences of 
coaching a lot of this Opal squad. And when you've still got leadership of like uh, Jenna O'Hay and Leilani and Kayla and some of those girls who have been a lot around for a long time who adopt such a very positive and respectful leadership style, I think it's pretty safe if Sandy can miss a little bit of camp knowing it's in in all of their capable hands and the Opals have just got such a great culture and legacy of showing respect and good work ethic. Um, so when little things like that happen, I don't think it should be such a big deal. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Okay, Jacinta, thanks very much for joining us. We'll be catching up uh, to talk about the first game and also a bit of a preview of the second game of the, the Opals campaign later this week. Can't wait to see that game. Oh, I'm so excited. Like, I'm trying to time... Um, when all the games are on to see if I need to stay up too late and take a day off work the next day and just sleep in. And I've even got the <laughs> I've even got the seven plus app on my phone so I can have the games playing on one side and the computer go on the other side so I don't miss anything. Yeah, I've got I've got to do the same. I've got to see if I've got to reorganize any meeting start times. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just merging the calendars of like, okay, this is when the three X three games and all the basketball games are on. What yeah, what meetings do I have? Let's just merge these timetables and nothing gets missed. That's it. Jacinta, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Loved it. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.